Hello, lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Odd Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to get into the show this week. Uh, we are still in the thick of Pride Month, and it has been an eventful one, to say the least, between the vast number of people that have come out thus far this month, um, added on to this week by WWE's own Tony Storm, as well as um, uh, Casey Johns in Australia. It's been amazing to see and, and amazing to watch. But then the, that, coupled with the, the diverse presentations from uh, LGBTQ pro wrestling pride events, and other events that not aren't specific to Pride or have the a specific LGBTQ shade to them, but still feature LGBTQ creators, LGBTQ wrestlers, um, and are embracing that community and showcasing that community during this month. It's been amazing to see. Obviously, we had a big weekend this past weekend with Juneteenth weekend. Um, Black Wrestlers Matter. We had the Ohio Triple Threat with Paradigm Pro, uh, Ohio Wrestling Alliance, and Unsanctioned Pro. That was outstanding. Black Girl Magic is coming up. Fight Club's coming back with Mochella on the 30th. Uh, not to mention we got Killian Vision from Camp Leapfrog and CFU debuting later today over on IWTV. You can't forget Dark Sheik's Fearless event coming up Friday, June 25th. Uh, full queer from this past weekend was was outstanding. Um, there's been so much, so much, so much, and I'm very happy that I was able to sit down and chat with someone who's been, you know, part of building that in recent years, and you know, was supposed to participate in uh, last weekend's Ohio Triple Threat before um, circumstances turned unfortunate, and, and he wasn't able to make it. Yeah, the business Billy Dixon is back on the show this week, and um, I am always excited to sit down and chat with him. We chat all about the upcoming Paris' bumping Solid Gold 21, talk about some changes in the Butch versus Gore world, and you know, and changes with him as well, and get into a bit of a deathmatch Dixon that we've seen <laughs> um, as of late, you know, down at whether it be Fear the Gay Agenda or even getting into the match. Uh, with him and AJ Gray, the pup collar match at the Big Gay Brunch back in April. Um, there's a lot to, that we covered in, in this conversation, and I feel like it's it's one that's very fitting in terms of how many different paths have emerged this Pride Month for LGBTQ pro wrestlers and LGBTQ pro wrestling as a concept to really branch out and show exactly what it can do and how well it can do all these different things that you know some people might not believe that that the community can uh, proven people wrong all day every day and and i'm here for it with that being said let's jump right into my conversation with billy dixon 
What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. And I, it is my pleasure to have as my guest this week someone who has been on the show multiple times in the past, very, very familiar and a friend of the show, who has had a lot of projects happen and on the horizon as well recently. You know him from the pup collar match against AJ Gray at the Big Gay Brunch. You saw him on Fear the Gay Agenda taking light tubes from his bestie ashton star um he's got shows coming up uh on the ohio triple threat on juneteenth weekend uh upcoming stuff with mochella with fight club and of course paris is bumping solid gold 21 coming up on july 10th billy dixon welcome back to lgbt in the ring hello 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 good to talk to you again brian Yes, always is a pleasure to, to have the chance to sit down with you, especially like whenever you have like so much going on, because it's been an eventful, an eventful year for you so far. I mean, obviously kicking off with the Cassandro Cup um, earlier this year, leading into the big Mania Weekend stuff, and then the, the stuff you've been doing since then with Pride Month and the upcoming match against, you know, the Hoodfoot Mo Atlas. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening. And then, of course, you're still creating, too. You still got Paris is Bumping coming. There's Butch versus Gore stuff in the works. You got a lot on your plate. <laughs> yeah, bud. Um, the grind never stops. So we keep plugging away. That is very, very true. Um, and obviously, like, the big thing for you, I think, uh, at least from from what I'm seeing right now, of course, is Paris is Bumping Solid Gold 21. The follow-up to last year's hit, uh, Ballroom Cross Pro Wrestling, uh, Meeting of the Minds there. Obviously, like, the show last year was, it was a big success, but I'm curious, like, heading into this, this year's iteration of the show, what did you learn from, from the first edition of Paris' Bumping that kind of led you to, like, alter the show in any way or, or basically come up with, with what the show is for this year? Um, I mean, the show was always designed to be a live event and the show's first iteration before COVID hit was supposed to be, you know, closer to your no rig death match kind of vibe and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, uh, looking at the show, hearing about the feedback, um, you know, I was like, maybe the direction to go in is more of a traditional wrestling show while still incorporating these like, um, you know, these uh, elements of ballroom that you could still do even if there's a wrestling ring present. So I'm really excited and nervous a little bit to see what works and honestly, what doesn't work. You know, the show, this is experimental. We've never done anything like this in wrestling where, you know, a lot of people say that they're mixing things, but I don't truly believe that anyone has ever mixed two different worlds uh, and juxtapose them at the same time, like this kind of a concept. So it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Yeah, I mean, and this year is is going to be much different. Obviously, like you said, there's we're, there's a ring involved this time around, um, as well as a live audience there for the show. Um, so it's going to be a, a bit different than than the first iteration. But one of the things that I'm glad that that is coming back, and I know some of it is because of covid and that sort of thing but you are still going to have some of those the segments that i think really blew up a lot obviously candy lee last year with with her uh butch Vim vogue was outstanding and um you know we're going to have another segment from her and then of course following in the footsteps of 
Mariah Marino's <laughs> uh, segment from last year, uh, we're bringing in uh, Felicia Rose for a live cam show uh, segment. Yeah. The show. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. I'm, I'm very curious <laughs> to hear uh, like how some of these ideas kind of came together for you and, and maybe what to expect if, if, if there's anything you want to divulge at this time. Um, so a lot of these ideas I had, I had a, I have a book with my ideas and when I get them, if I'm home or whatever, I'll put them in my little phone app and I write them down. And, you know, I think for me, you know, in my little pretentious art school brain, um, you know, there's so many people that have so many skill sets that are not being utilized in wrestling at all. You know, and whether people want to admit it or not, there's a beautiful influx of sex workers of all kinds in the wrestling space doing different kinds of things. And I think that, you know, with doing shows that are adult oriented or for adult audiences, you know, uh, even though there was a child at the Deathmatch show last weekend, which was insane, um, (laughs) you know, shows that are intended for mature audiences, I think that it's okay to incorporate more of those aspects of what we do, of what they do to what we do. Um, And I think the thing about it is that one of the things, you know, when we talk about things like the women's revolution, when we talk about attitude error to ruthless aggression to PG, when we talk about AEW, when we talk about NWA, when we talk about mainstream wrestling as a whole, kind of setting the, the tone for the rest of the industry. I think the number one thing that I think wrestling has lost is its sex appeal. Um, you know, I think that it's okay if there's kind of a manic, unbridled sex, sexual element to wrestling. I think that that's okay. I think that the key to that, to learn from our past, to make a better future, is to have their performer more involved in the creation of content that is sexual, um, which is why talking to Mariah about her content talking to um, Felicia about her content and coming up with ways to pick their brains at how can we mix these worlds together? How can we do something that's never been done before? How can we take things to the next level? So I'm, I'm really excited for the cam show because it is going to be exactly as it sounds and I can't say any more and I can't say any less. Uh, yeah, so that's gonna be exciting. Um, and you know, we also have new people uh, doing things. Jay Dewhurst is going to be competing in a cinematic match. That's going to uh, be a lot of fun. I guess I'm dropping that here. Yeah. So uh, yep. I guess we'll drop it here. Exclusive, exclusive category is Divas Down Under Death Match. So um, that's going to be really exciting to see what Jay Dewhurst comes up with. Um, and Candy's bringing back the Vogue. You know, I really want my 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 family overseas to be part of these shows. In, in any way possible, you know, COVID really is a bitch for that. But, um, you know, these cinematic things have blown up huge. I mean, I think that Candy's Vogue performance did more for her career than if, than anything, I'll say this, Candy's Vogue performance did more for her than anything she's done in her career. I'm, I am bold to say that, but I believe that it served as one of those old school vignettes that we used to get on Monday Night Raw or Friday Night SmackDown. You know, this is a part of her life, a part of her character. You know, she is a dancer, she is a performer, she is a stunt queen. And I think that it's really helpful for people to make more money if they show part of their characters without having to take bumps, 
or cut promos. So um, I think that those are helpful tools to make the shows breathable for me as the showrunner and also for people that can't be there in person to still get over, to still um, be able to connect with people even if they can't see them, you know, do clotheslines or drop kicks. No, I, I will agree with you on on Candy's performance last year being a, a huge mega moment for her, for her career. I think that got a lot of play whenever, you know, she was basically on the sidelines in New Zealand um, for the longest time due to the pandemic. And, you know, it's amazing that, that that ability to continue to keep someone in the minds of fans while also like showcasing other aspects of just in-ring stuff. Because like at the end of the day, pro wrestling is not just in-ring. You know, it's it's the creation of personas, the creation of like of moments, of feelings, and that was one of those that I think resonated with a lot of people last year. Um, I want to go back real quick to what you're talking about with in terms of sex appeal and pro wrestling because I think that that's been a heavy point of criticism for a long time in pro wrestling, and it all kind of goes back to what you were saying about who's in control of creating those sort of presentations, and you know, I think that's why. I really enjoyed Mariah's last year because it, it felt like it was something born from her own mind that, that she, that she crafted herself. And, mm-hmm. you know, Felicia has definitely been someone who has been very vocal about, you know, seizing the means of production on with her own uh, sex worker, sex work content. Um, and honestly, it's one of those things that translates again across the, the, the um, threshold between ballroom pro wrestling, because so much about, those two worlds uh, when it comes to the expression of sexuality and the expression of sex appeal is ownership of it. Is that something that kind of like factored into that, that thought process for you as well? I mean, I wouldn't put together anything of that kind of content without explicit uh, consent from the performer. That's first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we, we know wrestling has a, a, a huge problem with consent that doesn't need to be, you know, talked about ad nauseum. But um, for me, for me, I think what I love about the work that I do is that I feel like I'm providing reparations to um, the marginalized groups that these shows feature. You know, you know, for a long time, trans women in particular were seen as jokes or, you know, it's something to scoff at, you know, the stand the third and like, you know, let's cut the bullshit. You know, I know that a lot of men are attracted to trans women. And they're, you know, scared of it. I know that a lot of women who are cis are um, are are inspired by and um, are enamored by trans women, um, and they feel some way about it. And at the end of the day, a lot of the lexicon and language that we use was birthed from trans women. So to create a, a platform in which she is the moment she is the the attraction she is the talking point in a way that is just uplifting to her and there isn't an asterisk or a caveat or any sort of whatever i think that that's really powerful work and i think that that's wrestling owes trans people apologies you know um and you know uh people of color and queer people you know like wrestling has a lot of reparations you know because it's a microcosm of the world you know the world needs to give a lot of reparations out. So I, 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 I love that, you know, Mariah walked away feeling empowered, feeling valued, 
feeling like she made a contribution not only to, you know, a Billy Dixon joint production house, but to herself, you know, um, and that she felt like it was one of um, um, uh, uh, sorry, getting lost in my thought. But yeah, it, it, it's one of those moments that's like um, uh, really gratifying to see, you know, is is people being able to express themselves in in ways that like we really have not seen yet, you know, and 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 we all have a sex appeal to us, you know, and for some characters, they don't want to access that, and that's totally fine. Some characters, it's not appropriate for them to be sexual or romantic or in any way. And then in some characters, it's interesting to explore. You know, for, for myself, at some point in my career, I would love to create a story about my sexuality and, you know, me having a love interest or unrequited love, all of these kind of touchstones that we really haven't seen in a dignified way or in a way that's interesting or thought provoking be done in wrestling. You know, um, and some of the and, and these are some of the things that will be themes throughout Paris is Bumping and Butch versus Gore is being daring and creating narratives about these topics as well. You know, things like queer baiting or things like being closeted or things like, you know, what, you know, uh, in, in internalized homophobia, transphobia, racism, blah, blah, blah. These are things that, you know, what we want to do is we want to tell real stories. You know, I beat you you get your events that's cool and all, but like we can always push that envelope further and further. No. And I think that's something that is obviously like the next step in, in, in these more LGBTQ centric um, realms of pro wrestling that we've seen pop up, whether it be your shows or, or Effie shows or MV shows, like we're starting to see, you know, it moved beyond just like we're a show with a whole bunch of or all queer talent. It's more so like it's all these shows, but we also have stories that speak to our communities that are coming through. And, you know, that's mm -hmm. been something that's been amazing to see happen. And, you know, I would only expect that to keep growing, considering, you know, your approach to to all this, as well as seeing the growth from from Effie and, and MV shows as well. Right. Yeah. Um. Talk to me a little bit about like you brought up uh, trans women, and this show has a very significant um, spot in pro wrestling history as it as it uh, pertains to trans women, because you have placed uh, two of the best trans women pro wrestlers in the main event of this show, the first show to ever feature an all trans women main event with Edith Surreal versus Mariah Moreno. Obviously, Edith is on the mend. From, from the injury stuff, and hopefully the, the match is still going to happen. Um, but talk to me a little bit about the idea behind like making that the main event and, and what statement you wanted that to make. Um, well, I both of these women are my friends. I'm a huge fan of both of these women. I believe that they are main eventers. I believe that they have the ability to take a show home. I believe that they have the ability to really uh, captivate an audience. And for the sake of this project, I couldn't think of a better match to be the main event. You know, uh, this is a show that is, you know, rooted in uh, paying homage to trans women. Um, and, you know, I always kept that in mind that for the live event, I would want trans women in the main event. 
did I think that it would be two trans women going one-on-one when I first conceived to show him I had not going to be fake. No, I didn't. But I always wanted a, a trans woman in the main event. And I think that this match has a lot of layers, a lot of story, a lot of significance in a lot of ways that people don't think of. You know, you know, Mariah Moreno paved the way for Edith to have a career where she has been kind of, what's the right word? Edith's had a very dignified career. Mm. You know, and I don't know her experience, but since I've known her and from what I've seen working with her, she's always been treated with the utmost respect, valued as a performer, appreciated as a performer. You know, all of, all of the things that she needs, you know, have been respected and have been met to the best of my knowledge. And that the fan base has always been incredibly respectful to her. You know, if there are things that she went through that I'm not aware of, then, you know, that's my ignorance. I apologize. But Mariah Moreno doesn't have that same experience. Mariah Moreno would do a lot of other things. Mariah Moreno also is from a different generation of trans women, period. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of culture clash and, you know, they're, they're of different races and different, you know, it's East Coast versus West Coast. Um, and Mariah Moreno has been telling a lot of people that there is a torch for the dolls and nobody explained to her that her fire was lit, not lit anymore. To her, her fire is still ablaze and you know it's her duty to work with and uplift and also defeat you know the, 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 the women that she's made her, 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 her she's blowed that trace for, you know, we don't, you know, queer history and wrestling is kind of still not documented correctly. You know, a lot of people get forgotten. And now with accountability culture on social media, things like speaking out and things like, uh, you know, uh, Twitter, wrestling Twitter being uh, like kind of just wrestler's court, you know, now there's a racer. And now if I'm a regular wrestling fan or if I'm new to wrestling fan, and I want to learn about the history of trans or queer performers or gender non-performing wrestlers, there's not a even narrative. There's holes, there's gaps, there's spaces for a variety of reasons. This match kind of can be on that timeline, a bullet point um, of this match happened at this point, And this was the first thing that this happened. And I think that's really important. Above mm-hmm. all things about their, uh, them them being women of trans experience they're two very good professional wrestlers and they bring two very different things to the table you know Edith is is incredibly technically sound an enigma Um, she has a a different kind of energy that she brings to her matches Mariah is a show a show girl she is high energy she is camp but also she is incredibly talented at the lucha style as Edith has worked being good at lucha and that's something that i think is going to be interesting to watch somebody who's literally from california right next to mexico learning that lucha style versus americanized lucha from edith that's going to be a lot of a style clash there so outside of the history making element yeah that's all good and everything there's a lot of intangibles about this match that make it incredibly intriguing and incredibly important and fun to watch 
No, I'm I'm with you on that. I think that the styles they they clash in in uh, interesting ways, but they also complement each other in interesting ways. And and you're right, like this is a meeting of like two different generations of the trans experience in pro wrestling, um, in in a celebration that's gonna for sure get violent. Um, just just knowing both of them um, in in terms of their their in ring work, um, it's gonna be a really interesting clash to watch. Um, speaking to the, what you brought up there about like these like holes and these patches in like queer history, uh, in pro wrestling, um, and this kind of serving as a, as a bullet point to, to look towards, is that something that kind of, um, influences overall or influences you overall whenever, you know, building out this series of Billy Dixon joints that, that you're producing? Um, well, yeah, because we need something that doesn't disappear if somebody gets canceled. I mean, to cut it sharply. You know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm sick and tired of my, my friends and wrestling as a whole. We having to sacrifice our hard work because one person is a piece of shit. I think that that's annoying. I don't think that that's the answer. And I'm over that. I'm fucking over that. I think that that sucks. You know, because at some point, if everybody's fingered to be an asshole, but one person in one match was a good person, why can't they keep their art? You know, at some point, we have to be mature enough to be able to make distinctions and to be able to look at things objectively. We're not there yet, whatever. But, you know, we have to have something on record because, you know, within my personal experience and other people's personal experience, I, I have holes in my career. That's not fair to me because it invalidates the work I've done. You know, if people want to call me a trailblazer and a legend and this and that down the line or right now or some kind of leader, well, what can I reference if we're deleting everything that, that people have done that is not even their fault, number one. Number two, we need to have a, a, a record of for when people get signed and people have stuff, you know, like, that people can point to, you know, when I see talent that gets signed and then they do something that's referential, whether that's CM Punk coming out to cult of personality or, you know, John Moxley and the wild thing or a particular um, spot in a match that was a shot for shot copy of a match that they did on the independence, you know, queer talent deserves that as well. You know, things like that are important. Things like that are the equality and the equity that I would like to see. You know, for example, you know, if, if uh, for example, you know, if, if Effie were to sign with AEW and he was to face Orange Cassidy and they did the 69 pinning combination comedy spot that him and I did, that, you know, and people go on Twitter and they mark out for it. And then they go, remember when? We deserve that. You know what I'm saying? Um, and that's kind of what these things are for. Um, just to create more equality in a lot of different other ways. No, it, it is important in, in documenting these things to have those moments to look back to. I, I completely I'm completely agree with you on that. I think that's what's been awesome to see with like the past few years with more of these these shows like that you're producing and that other queer creators are producing that are documenting those moments and they're you know they're living on on IWTV on Title Match on various other you know platforms and we're we're slowly 
building up that library, it feels like. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, milestones like Cassandra Cup. Yes. Dick A. Brunch and the Young's uh, Polyamp Cult Parties and Fashion Week, Dark Sheik's uh, Hood Slam, which has been here the longest. You know, she deserves her flowers. Um, you know, she often is left out of the conversation. Um, uh, you know, these landmark shows, but, you know, we're talking predominantly queer, which versus gore and all that. You know, we need to have these reference points and we need to make that sacred and hollow ground. So that's the goal of all of us is so that it has the same reverence as a Battle of Los Angeles or a King of Trios or, you know, a collective. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I'm with you on that. And I think that, you know, I think looking specifically at the Cassandra Cup earlier, I think that that really felt like a a moment in, in a way, whenever you're speaking to like, you know, events like Battle of Los Angeles and the King of Trios, like these tournament based uh, events that stick in the mind of pro wrestling fans, I felt like the Cassandra Cup and the way that it was spoken about and the way that um, it was kind of lauded ahead of its debut and even and after its debut, um, that felt like a moment where like this might be the, the first instance of something like that that could catch on in that way for for the queer community. I mean, I'm not really supposed to say these things, but the Cassandra Cup is the highest IWTV premiere of all time. You know, the reference is there. The reverence is there. The, the viewership is there. We, the, the audience wants this. They want this so bad. They want these things to matter and they want this. And, and, and we are still feeding an underserved market. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of options now. There's too many of us after this June 1st, Jesus Christ. But like, <laughs> um, you know, we, we're not, we're not, everybody's not getting spots on shows. You know, we're still, there's so much more work to be done, but you know, and, and I can even say six years into the business, when I started, this didn't exist. This did not exist. And the work that we've gotten to this point in the past five years in particular is really inspiring to watch as, you know, a lot of people put in the work, did these shows that weren't, weren't um, received positively, but we're building blocks and steps to get to this point, you know. And now if Cassandra Cup is treated with the same rev reverence as these events, then, you know, it's, it's important. It's important, you know, Big Gay Brunch is a party and Polyamco Parts party. And I respect that, you know, my friends throw great shows, but like I said to my locker room when we did the show, and like I truly mean, we also need serious athletic events that, can show that we are also bell-to-bell performers that have importance, those kind of events as well. No, for sure. I mean, you you have to have that that variety, I think. Because, like, yeah, the party atmosphere is, is awesome and great, you know, but at the same time, like, there, there are so many different aspects of the presentation of pro wrestling that you have to prove that you can do them all. And in, in, in a way, it sucks that you have to, like, prove that you can because obviously, like, queer identities have been here and they've proven that time and time again but you're you're proving it on a stage now that has an audience that is there for it like that's amazing that the the iwtv numbers that the cassandra cup pulled in like it's it's wild and we keep seeing it every time with these queer shows that come up like they keep trending 
on Twitter. Uh, they keep mm -hmm. pulling in big audiences, um, and and you know that there, there's a track record now. Yeah, we 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 make money. Uh, I hope people who who write for television shows realize that because there's a lot of money they leave sitting. There's a lot of money they're leaving off the table, um, but we make money, and we we are. We are we are drawing, you know. We are drawing. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I had a couple more questions about Paris's bumping, but before we get to that, I want to talk to you about something you just brought up. Was June first this year? Obviously, like the community has grown a lot, but June first in that first week of Pride Month, we saw a whole bunch of people like join the family and and, and have those their coming out moments. What was it like for you to see like just that that like rapid fire of pro wrestling people like really like voicing their identities for the first time and, and really putting themselves out there for the world? I mean, it's always beautiful to see, you know, if I get a little older and a little bit more bitter and jaded, I'm even like, oh, God, more competition. But, you know, <laughs> um, no, it's a beautiful thing to see. Um, and it's a beautiful thing when. The people, you know, I won't say names because I don't, you know, I don't like giving myself clout, but um, it's a beautiful thing when some of the people that had came out this year, I work a show with them and, and they cite me as the reason that they feel comfortable to be outwardly queer um, in wrestling, you know, and, and I know that, you know, those of us who have been showrunners and have been out our whole careers and lives and have kind of really taken the brunt of the abuse. You know, the generations before me had it way worse. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm like the Stonewall generation because I'm not, but it wasn't easy for me either. Um, but it makes it worth it, you know, when you know that like, okay, sometimes, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you. Sometimes when you put these shows together and the budgets are high and the talent is being demanding and the fan support you feel like isn't necessarily there or whatever, kind of bullshit intangibles there. But when somebody says like, because of you, I can be free, it makes this work worth it. It makes it easier to go and do another show and put yourself through the stress and the, 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 the cycle all over again. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that people feel free to be them, you know? Um, and I think freedom is a beautiful thing. And that's what I said on June 1st, welcome to freedom. You know, hmm. this one less thing you have to worry about, you know? and my only rule is don't be a dick. You know, welcome to the Alphabet Mafia. Don't be a dick. Rules to live by right there, honestly. Um, so getting back to Paris's bumping here real quick. Another thing that I loved about the first show um, and it really goes along with the concept is like the, the blending of the performances out from outside of pro wrestling um, in queer culture that come in. Obviously we had Washi Heights last year um, doing on the show, then Washi's coming back this time around, and they're also bringing in uh, Vogue performances, uh, live Vogue performances mm -hmm. this time around. Talk to me a little bit about like further implementing the aspects of ballroom and drag into into the show proper. Like, obviously, was that something that you wanted to do more of with the first show, and what was it like to actually have the chance to do that now that you have a more um, open, accessible? Uh, presentation i mean yeah the the initial project was supposed to have live vogue performers it was supposed to have a lip sync it was supposed to have um women you know presenting body categories and things of that nature and 
you know, the touchstones that are of ballroom culture and those categories specifically. So when I um, was able to do that, it was a no brainer. I can't do a show celebrating the, the culture of people who Vogue and not have some and not have somebody Vogue, like that doesn't make any sense. So I, you know, I reached out uh, and I talked with Promise uh, Juicy Couture, who is a huge wrestling fan, who's really excited. And we talked about, you know, what is it I'm looking for? What do they need? Like, how can I, how can I make this uh, for them, you know, comfortable? And also how can they bring it? You know, and wrestling and drag queens are having this great rapport right now where the fans are really digging them at the shows. And, you know, there's this great synergy between the two camps. And I think that Vogue ballroom performers are incredibly athletic and they're going to, you know, the, the fans are going to be able to see the ties between the high flyers in wrestling and the, the ballroom performers. And I think that's going to be really cool to see. Uh, and also, I think shows should have variety. You know, the show is going to be a long show because balls are long. Um, so you want to spice it up between uh, the action for sure. No, definitely. And, and I, I think that that's an aspect that I've really enjoyed watching kind of bleed into pro wrestling more and more over the past few years is that implement, implementation of drag into, into shows and now, you know, bringing in the, the facets of ballroom even more. It's going to be outstanding because like you watch like Vogue, comp, like Vogue battles online and it very much, it already feels like pro wrestling. And I know this is something that was kind of discussed around the, the, first Paris is bumping but like watching those things like Vogue and and ballroom and drag and pro wrestling are all the same thing with just different presentations it feels like absolutely all right Yens thank you so much for tuning into LGBT in the ring Uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get a five-day free trial and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get five days free to check out that service. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at LGBT RingPod. You can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. And if you're into video games, definitely check out my video game news show, the Mr. Video Game Super Show. I co-host that with uh, Twitch streamers Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over on twitch.tv slash Entertainment. Uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash Entertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. Last thing on, on Paris is bumping, and we can 
talk about some other stuff that you've had going on, uh, particularly involving light tubes. Um, <laughs> I would say uh, another big thing for this show is the um, the Paris is Bumping Honors. The mm. This is, I, I really enjoy the concept of, of this, especially in a world like pro wrestling where there are so many hall of fames and so many like um communities or societies that kind of honor the past of pro wrestling it only makes sense that the queer community would have something of their own and i feel like the first three inductees that you've named uh fit that bill to a t obviously mariah moreno being part of that you know being part of the main event on the show having the legacy that she's had in pro wrestling over the past decade um is is immensely important faye jackson who we know we just said goodbye to in an in-ring capacity this earlier this year um is someone who's been who's influenced so many people in pro wrestling in her time in in the industry and then of course um casey michael um the the mind behind um squared circle sirens i i talked to me a little bit about established like the thought process that went into like establishing this um this sort of honoring uh, ceremony aspect of the show and and why those three people in your mind were the right choices for the for the first inductions um i think that it's important to give people their flowers while they can still smell them i think that's something that a lot of us in wrestling have really kind of made a pact to do you know which is why some of these shows you see these legends in important matches because you know especially those that worked for major companies and then got shitted on or whatever case may be um i think it's just really important for us to remember those that paved the way for us in whatever capacity um paris honors is uh is the least i can do you know it's the least we can do you know like i said like each person has contributed a lot mariah moreno bled a lot, fought a lot, was treated like absolute fucking shit so that we could have the Edith Surreal Candy Lees of the world and um, all the new up and coming trans uh, performers. You know, and, and there are many that came before her, but as far as America goes, you know, she really laid the groundwork that I think stuck the most. Um, and, you know, sometimes in entertainment, we're all about what have you done for me lately and who's the next big thing. And we forget about the people that have made it easy for that person to exist, you know? And I, it doesn't sit right with me to know that this woman is still actively competing and performing and has not gotten her flowers. Um, so it was important for her to be there. Casey Michael, I mean, Casey Michael was, the thing keeping women's wrestling going for the longest time as far as journalism goes you know before it was cool to cover the women he was doing it at length he was doing it in great detail interviews podcasts you know spending his money going to shows and going to events and 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 and, and really going out there and helping a lot of women get on the map Squared Circle Sirens was a vital tool in the same vein of Diva Dirt, a vital tool for which an independent women's wrestler could, could, could get over, could get a look at. And a lot of the women that were heavily featured on that website 
have gone on to greatness. Women like, you know, Jordan Grace and Deanna Perrazzo, um, Tushadora, you know, these are women that Casey Michael years ago was saying, these are the women to carry us into the next decade before the internet caught on. Um, and he had a discerning eye for talent. Um, and Faye Jackson, I mean, Faye Jackson is an incredible performer, um, knows how to get a crowd going behind her, underrated in her understanding of psychology, underrated in her, her ability to, to uh, risk her body for entertainment. Um, and one of those workers who just got it and got it in the best way. And she was trained by the best, Grim Reefer, Homicide. You know, she had great, great foundations in wrestling and she succeeded. And she went through her own bullshit working with major companies and some of the women wrestlers that were at those major companies that are now canceled, um, giving her a hard time. And, you know, she never got her just due. I'm glad she got the great Trump Dance Battle Royal on her way out. She deserved that moment. But more importantly, Faye behind the scenes is the most important person in, in the, well, she's no longer working, but she was the most important person in independent wrestling by far. Everybody could go up to her. This is, oh my God, this is probably gonna be my speech, but everybody could go up to her and say, in trauma dump, talk about their match, their relationships, their financial situation, their house, they're this, they're that. And she had an open ear and listen, gave you a hug and made you feel like you could conquer anything. You know, she would push promoters to create the equity and equality that needed to be there predominantly for performers of color. If you were an asshole, she made sure you were not booked. If you were causing drama in locker rooms, you were not gonna be booked in the locker room she was. She used her power and her leverage for good. She did a lot of good in her career. She gave a lot of herself to a lot of people. And she fought for queer performers throughout her, her career in wrestling. And a lot of us, call her mom for a reason because she literally mothered us and protected us and wanted us to do well. And, you know, it is only right for me to honor her. Um, and she's also is a part of the community. You know, she doesn't particularly want a label, but she's part of the community. Um, and, you know, Larry Legend will be at the next one because he's, he's an OG of mine as well. But, you know, it's important for us to give back to people who have in their own way help move things forward. So that's really the crux of why this thing exists is to acknowledge and appreciate and to applaud those who have put in the work. No, I mean, I think that, you know, I think on online, especially like that Faye Jackson's role as like a, a wrestling mother does get like, bantied about and, and thrown around a lot but it, it really is like that is the relationship that i've heard so many people speak to having with her whenever whenever it comes to her and you know her casey and, and mariah larry as well like they all um are deserving of, of that kind of honor so yeah it's 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 awesome to see i'm i'm really happy to see that that, that kind of space is being carved out on the show um well i'm i'm excited for uh paris's bumping coming up in july um 
I don't know a really good way to transition away from something like truly heartfelt and emotional to actually, no, I do know how because like death matches, <laughs> death matches have emotion to them as well. Oh my God, yes. Yes, they do. Um, because And you have been in a number of prominent ones as of late, like obviously going back to your match with AJ Gray at the Big Gay Brunch and then you and Ashton um, at Fear the Gay Agenda down at No Peace, like it's almost like the it should be Billy Deathmatch Dixon, at least recently. Oh God, don't do that to me, please. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. I just, um, but like those those two matches in particular, probably the AJ match, really resonated a lot with with audiences. You know, I saw a number of people coming out of WrestleMania weekend talking about their top two matches being the the history making Bianca and Sasha match, and then you and AJ, almost like one and one right there. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about like your thought process going into that match and, and how you felt coming out of it and, and seeing the response to it. Um, that match meant a lot to me. Uh, I have a tremendous respect for AJ and I love AJ like a brother. Um, and, you know, I wanted a, I wanted to earn his respect between the ropes. We never fought before. That's the first time we've ever met in the ring. Um, and I felt a lot of pressure and a lot of weight. I, 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 I was feeling incredibly frustrated as a performer, feeling like I'm giving out incredible performances, different kinds of performances, and I'm not being given bigger stages to do my art um, and feeling like I had so much to offer and, and kind of it boiled over. Um, it kind of boiled over uh, to um, kind of this point where I was so frustrated that I didn't want to go to Tampa. Hmm. And I quit uh, for Tampa, which only Effie and AJ knew that I had quit. Um, because I was just kind of over it. And then I got a phone call in the middle of the night because SGC doesn't understand normal business hours. <laughs> uh, being like from AJ telling me, you're not, you're going to Tampa. And he, and I was like, AJ, I just, you know, I'm not feeling it. He was like, listen, I got a plan. We're going to do this thing at Flow the Culture. We're going to do this thing at Big Gay Brunch. And it's going to be great. And he explained what we were going to do. And in the words of some movie that I can't remember, he made an offer I couldn't refuse. Um, and I went and I went on a mission. I think the only, if there's a pro wrestling reference point to how I felt, it's what I watched and what came out actually right before Tampa. Um, I'm a huge fan of Edge and Edge was experiencing similar feelings to me of feeling like I can get the ball, I can carry the ball um, before his match with Mick Foley at WrestleMania 22 um, and feeling like I deserve to be doing everything on the biggest stage and in the biggest spot possible and I just got to prove that I, I, I'm that guy um, and the untold on the WWE Network before it went to Peacock uh, uh, came out right before Tampa 
And I, I sat there and I watched it and I got fired up mm-hmm. and my blood was boiling. And I called one of my best friends and I cut a promo using all kinds of bombs and words you're not supposed to say about how I'm gonna go to Tampa and I'm gonna walk away and everybody's gonna say my fucking name. And um, I did that, <laughs> um, but like, uh, uh, yeah, I, I was really motivated, um, you know, and I wanted to prove that, you know, that there's nothing that queer performers can't do and there's nothing that I can't do. And, you know, people don't really cite death matches for their colorful and elaborate, you know, Picasso-esque use of psychology or whatever, but I wanted to prove that you can do that and that that genre is full of great storytellers and is full of people that are intelligent and smart and artists, you know, and I went into that, that, that weekend really focused on doing my very best, achieving what I wanted, and, and I'm, I'm really proud of what I did. I'm really proud of that match. Um, I think we did a phenomenal job. And what's funny, a lot of people do compare that match and say it's neck and neck with Bianca and Sasha. Um, I, I thing I noticed is that me, we, both matches do the exact same spot where we use the chain and Bianca used her hair to ram each other into the post. Mm. And I think that there's symbolism in that. And I think that that's something that kind of let me know that like I'm on the right side of history. It's as it's, it's weird as that sounds. I remember watching that match and seeing that spot and smiling going, huh, you know, not like a lot of people are like, oh, people steal from me, copy me, and Bianca Belair and copy and Billy fucking Dixon. But, you know, watching that and going, wow, that's cool. That's something. Um, and it was just, yeah, really privileged to be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. No, like that match was one of the most memorable things coming out of that weekend, honestly, you know, just from my own personal perspective as well. You know, a weekend that had a lot of memorable moments, but like from beginning to finish, whether it be like y'all implementing the fact that AJ Gray overslept at Big Gay Brunch 1 uh, for for the for the eight person tag there into the story, um, you kind of building out this new meta where you are are, are constantly in threat of coming up behind somebody with a chair, and, and mm. cutting a promo on somebody all the way to you know you literally like screaming at Brett Lauderdale while you were beating up AJ Gray <laughs> during the match to the very end where like, you know, it's you, AJ and Effie in the ring and they, and then they, they leave and they, and you're left alone there with the crowd, like chanting your name at the end of that. Um, it was like, it was an emotional moment. I, I feel. Yeah. Uh, I, I debated on posting the picture, but it was very emotional behind the scenes after the match. Um, and I posted the picture of, me kind of inconsolable in AJ's arms after that, because, you know, I, I, I do, I have spent a, a, a part of my career now uplifting a lot of other people. And, and uh, you know, I, that was for me. That match was for me, mostly. Um, and, you know, the catharsis that that match had for me, the, the fact that I could do it and I did it, uh, and that I, I, I accomplished my goal, which was to earn his respect 
and was to finally, you know, there are times where I feel like my contributions in comparison to MV or FE um, sometimes are overshadowed or kind of disrespected in some ways by the audience. Um, but in that moment, I felt really, really vindicated and uh, I, felt, I felt good. I felt like people got what this whole business thing is and what this whole Billy Dixon thing is. And I'm internally grateful for Effie giving me that stage to do it. Brett for giving me that stage and allowing himself, you know, to be used as a plot device in my match um, at GCW and um, AJ for, for being my dance partner in that match. You know, I'm really grateful for that platform for sure. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you kind of bring up the idea of you being the one that normally is the uplifter for, for other people in wrestling and having that kind of turned around to having like all these other people kind of give you be that for you, at least in the context of, of this, of this match. What did that, how did that feel? Like kind of being on the other side of, of the coin for, for that little bit of time down in Tampa. It was, it was great, you know, because like I said earlier, you know, sometimes there's a different understanding you know, some people think that I don't want to be an in-ring competitor anymore. Some people think I just want to be a promoter. Some people think that I'm just having fun. You know, I still have my singular goal. You know, I, I still want things to happen for me in a certain kind of way. And it was nice to be able to have a moment that I didn't write for myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that, you know, there's kind of a, there's a, you know, there's a weird kind of, uh, when you're booking your own stuff, you know, and for that to be something that was earned and given and you know it was real it was super super real so eternally grateful for that hmm. and of course that 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 moment really led into uh what we've been seeing during pride month from you like obviously uh fear the gay agenda seemed like a uh a, a purely chaotic thing <laughs> down there um, not just with your match with Ashton, but the entire night. Like, talk to me a little bit about that night in Orlando and, and stepping back into the no ring death match uh, world for, for a little bit. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have Houston, we have a problem. I think Billy likes death match too much. Uh -oh. um, I mean, I was contacted to do it, I was really excited. When I heard that Ashton wanted to do it, I was fucking floored. Um, I, he's such a wrestler's wrestler. I wouldn't imagine him wanting to get involved in deathmatch, but we talked, we were into it. We created a story. I really liked the avenue we went with the story. You know, I'm not into just like exhibition matches. I, I, I'm bored by that. You know, I'm really, I really take inspiration from the modern era of boxers. Um, like your, uh, you know, and also these weird YouTubers that are now becoming boxers. It's really fascinating and wild, mm -hmm. but I am really into promoting my fights uh, as big matches and, and using social media as a really, as a platform to get, not only promote, but to really kind of just like create narrative for something that doesn't need to have one. Um, and doing the same thing that, you know, uh, Floyd Money Mayweather, De La Hoya, um, the UFC guys, you know, that they were doing, um, that they're doing. I'm really influenced by that. And I think doing that with Aston helped our match a lot, helped our, our buzz a lot. And to be able to say that two gay black men did a death match together is fucking 
nuts coming out of my mouth as a kid that used to go to XPW shows. Fuck. Um, wild. <laughs> it's fucking wild. Um, but it's exciting, you know, and we bled, we hurt. Um, I had a huge cut in my arm. I bled for 12 hours after, um, you know, he tipped his tooth, you know, we earned our scars, you know, but we, 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 we did it. We crossed the finish line and, you know, no one can take that bit of history. Also, the rest of the show was phenomenal. And I think that it's important that this show happened because, you know, we are still as a community of queer people having to prove our legitimacy. You know, the majors have not given a queer person the ball in any way. And that's frustrating to watch for my friends. On the independence, there is still hesitancy to give a queer person the ball. And I'm talking the, the, the ball to say, you run this motherfucker. You know, we're given secondary titles and we're given little cute spots and you can do, no, we can carry a program. You need us to do death matches? Well, we can do it. You need us to do technical? We can do it. You need us to brawl? We can do it. You need us to cut promos? We can do it. And that's what's the, the best part of Feel the Gay Agenda is that it shows yet again in a completely different way that we can do anything. There's nothing we can't do. That's why I kept saying that. Yeah. I mean, it's that that's the refrain really coming out of it is that like literally queer people in pro wrestling can do any form of pro wrestling that you need and and you know I, it it was really interesting to whenever you know Effie and, and Pero first announced the the show the the concept of like because you think like there are so many people in the world of LGBTQ pro wrestling that have like been at least like somewhat featured in the no ring death match circle you know like i think for a lot of people effie and mv young in particular were two people that really got on people's radars because of their participation in no ring deathmatch stuff mm -hmm. so to see a show that or to see that a show like fear the gay agenda that featured queer identities so prominently and at such a large capacity hadn't been done really yet was kind of surprising to me personally I mean, there's a lot of first evers we have not even crossed yet. That's too true. It's all We're plugging away at it bit by bit. Give us a yep. hundred years, we'll get there. <laughs> One a year, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that kind of leads into another big, like sort of a first, not necessarily a first ever, but something that that has the same feeling as a first ever coming up um, this weekend because Juneteenth is having its wrestling weekend coming up. You know, we saw it last year with um, not necessarily happening on Juneteenth, but we saw like Black, Black Wrestlers Matter happen last year. And mm. that sparked, uh, I think, a lot of conversation um, beyond, you know, the, the part of the community that we're looking to a Black Wrestlers Matter show to happen. And we're seeing that conversation grow now with not only Black Wrestlers Matter 2 running this weekend, but we have the Ohio Triple Threat now um, from, you know, at least some partially from the mind of J-Rose. I don't know if it's 100% a J-Rose uh, concept, but you're going to be there as part of Paradigm Pro Wrestling show on, on that card, Reasonable Doubt, going up against uh, Mo Atlas, the Hoodfoot for the Heavy Hitters Championship. Um, as 
someone who has used pro wrestling as a tool to speak to queer black erasure in the past and has been very, very vocal about, you know, black identity in pro wrestling, you know, queer or not queer. Um, what does it mean to you to see Juneteenth get its own like wrestling weekend proper in this way? I mean, I'm glad that it's a thing. It's about time. It's about, you know, uh, some of these shows could just exclusively feature black performers, but we'll take what we can get. Um, I think that to highlight black wrestlers on a consistent basis is not hard. It is not difficult because some of the best wrestlers in the world are black, you know, and that's talking about Sunny Kiss, that's talking about Trisha Dora, that's talking about Scorpio Sky, uh, Top Flight, you know, great professional wrestlers, you know? Um, I think that um, that this show means a lot because, you know, one of the biggest matches of this weekend features a performer that is both black and queer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, 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 I do feel that there have, you know, and wrestling is a microcosm of the world, you know, the same way that the cast of Pose wasn't invited to the BET Awards or the NAACP Awards or weren't nominated or anything like that, you know, there, there, there has been a hesitancy within the Black community in wrestling um, of really embracing and uplifting their, their Black queer members as well. Um, and to see that stigmatized, that stigma really kind of going the way of the dodo bird it's really nice to see, but at the same time, you know, things could be better. But for me, walking into that weekend, and to me, in my opinion, having the most talked about match, period, uh, means a lot to me. And it means that I know how to do my job. And that means that people that pay people to do the job that I'm trying to do need to start paying attention to who the business really is. Um, you know, like I said, balancing uplifting other people, I wasn't uplifting myself and I wasn't giving myself the attention. This year, I am able to really contribute to my own career. And uh, I wanna be able to help smash that barrier for the black queer community in wrestling, um, which is why this, this match means a lot to me. No, it, and it definitely, like, you can definitely feel it in, in the buildup to to the match itself i mean i think that you know this is a match that you yourself have been like talking up and about wanting for a while to to, to get hoodfoot in a ring and i think it's a match that much like um how we talked about like the clashing of styles between edith and, and mariah for paris's bumping like you and hoodfoot have styles that feel very similar but also have like different little differences here and there that I think could make for a, a really interesting match, so to speak, especially whenever you put the heavy hitters championship and all the connotations of those matches into, into here. Cause you know, I, that title's only defended either in UWFI rules or in uh, hardcore rules. And I don't know, have they, have they stated which one of those match types that this match is going to be yet? Or I, I, um, I get to make that decision ah. and I'll make it when I'm good and ready. Okay. And you know what? That's, that's a, that's a, a, a point where um, it's an advantage. So I don't blame you for, for holding that close to the vest. 
<laughs> but it is interesting to see like you know the 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 queer names that are on these shows this um this weekend a lot of them you know are alumnus of butch versus gore stuff you know obviously on black black Lives matter you have you know devon monroe russell rogue brooke ballantyne um on those shows and then of course you know on the ohio triple threat you have ac mac on there with you as well um like there's a there's a, a a wide swath of people and i know that those wrestlers have definitely made their name on on their own in other places as well but you start to see this this tree branching off from the butch versus gore uh world and other like facets of lgbtq wrestling what does it mean for you to kind of see these people that you've worked so closely with start to get these these uh Pioneer, maybe not pioneering is the right word, but in that like sort of that context kind of moment like this. I mean, I don't want to take credit for anyone's career ever. I like to think that Butch versus Gore just provides an equalizer. You know, because Butch versus Gore uh, has amongst the highest um, viewership. In, in, in independent wrestling, that means that promoters are watching, fans are watching, and other wrestlers are watching in their recommendations. So if, if there's anything that Butch versus Gore has done, it has provided a completely fair and objective, excuse me, place to see queer talent perform. And now they're able to just be seen as talent first sexuality, gender identity, race, everything else. Second, the talent is on display. And, you know, it's great to see where everyone's kind of lining up. You know, I know some of the big wig promoters that Butch versus Gore outdraws <coughs> would um, not, would never want to say that they watch, but they do. Um, and, uh, that's beneficial to them. Good for them. I want, I, that's the whole point of that. Use Butch versus Gore as a springboard so you can have a full calendar, period. No, and it's, and it's providing that for, for a lot of people, obviously. And, you know, as we start to wind down here on, on, on the show, um, Butch versus Gore is, I think, the, the last uh, conversation topic the, for that I have for you here because you know, there's been a bit of Butch versus Gore news coming out of the Cassandra Cup and heading into stuff later on in the year. You know, there's been a lot of talk about uh, about House Show coming up at some point, um, as well as the news that y'all have moved operations of Butch versus Gore out of the the DMC or the DMV rather to um, to Chicago. Um, and I, there was a very well penned uh, letter to the to the dc wrestling community uh after that decision was made from from you and low that you know was very heartfelt and and spoke to the influence that that region has had for for the growth of not just you and and low but also for butch versus scores general what and what led to that decision being made and what does the uh relocation to chicago um what kind of advantages does it provide for Butch versus Gore going forward? Um, so I think in, in the letter, we kind of cut it sharply. Uh, you know, as somebody who runs a thing, I don't ever want to lie to the audience. I never want to be misleading. 
basically to cut it sharply, money was a big factor and bureaucracy was another factor. DC has one of the strictest commissions. I know the commissioner was not happy that we said that, but DC is one of the most strict commissions in the country. The amount of hoops that you have to go through to obtain a restless license is absolutely incredible and incredibly difficult to do as a professional wrestler. The fees that you have to pay in order to run a professional wrestling show are absorbent. It is ridiculous. It is difficult to raise that kind of a money before you're even talking about putting on a show. Number one. Number two, given COVID and everything and Mayor Bowser's complete incompetency um, with the handling of DC and COVID and being incredibly not clear on what she wanted things to be made it even harder to think about running a show, you know? And low moved to Chicago, that's another huge reason. So Chicago is a lot more lenient and not as structured in any kind of commission way. So when I'm looking at pros and cons and I'm looking at, I could do two Butch versus Gore shows a year, given where our budget is at and where we're at, or I could do almost 20 events in Chicago, what is more fair? Mm. You know, I, I hate it for the DC wrestling fans, you know? And I, 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 I hate it for them. I think it's incredibly unfair. We do plan on trying to do something next year, trying to get the money together for that. It's really hard, but it's, it's, it's DC is so hard to run in. And, you know, we, you know, at prime time, there were connections that made it easier for the person running that, you know, to, to run, but we don't have those connections and we don't have those avenues of revenue. So, you know, when you're looking at two broke bros trying to run some goddamn wrestling, you know, you gotta, you gotta go with what's the easiest. And it sucks, but it was the best, it was the best thing we could do. It was the, the, the best decision for all parties involved. And we, 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 we missed DC. There's nothing more that I would wish than for DC to cut all of their fees in half or eliminate them so that people could run effectively in that region. Yeah, that is that is a, a humongous um, bummer and, and bummer is an understatement of word when it comes to that, because like, you know, I I've, I only went to the one show there, the the, the Butch versus Gore show, but it felt like that that city in that area had a very um, bright vibrance for what y'all were doing there. And to know that you still had a fight club running there also, like you had multiple promotions that were building up these very diverse and unique audiences that were fully ready to engage with what y'all were doing. And obviously that's still going to continue in Chicago, but I mean, Chicago has a very vibrant pro wrestling audience as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it, it is, it does suck to, to see that, you know, the financial aspect and the bureaucratic aspect of DC kind of led to the, the diminishing of, of the scene there somewhat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it does provide another avenue because I've seen the teases and uh, out there for All Out Weekend. Um, is there potentially a Butch versus Gore something gonna happen around All Out Weekend? I emojis. 
That's my response. Mm. It's you know what? It's telling, and I I appreciate it. <laughs> um, but you know, I think I, what I do want to plug is we are making our Chicago debut. Holy shit! Um, on October the second at the Right B Cider in Chicago. Um, and we're not calling it house show. It's a working title. I don't know what we're calling it yet, but mm -hmm. I will tell you that there are two huge things that are going to happen on that show. Number one, we're going to crown the first open weight freedom wrestling world champion, which is, um, our version of the Pan-African world diaspora wrestling championship. Oh, wow. Um, so this is a title that is for anyone but moreover, really uh, going to be for the queer community to call their world championship. And I've gotten the blessing from all the people that I needed to get the blessing from for this to happen. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and also the main event of that show, which is going to be another first time ever match featuring queer people. And when I tell you it's going to, people are going to lose their shit. You gotta, go to Paris is bumping to find out. Ah. It will be announced at Paris is bumping. Um, and it will be, it will change everything. But you have to go to Paris is bumping to find out. You know what? That just gives even more of a reason to, to make it out to New Jersey and check out the show on July 10th. Like, it's, that's amazing. Um, are y'all going to be, do we have, a, is there going to be a, a streaming uh, date yet for, for Paris is bumping? Uh, yeah, so we will be announcing the, so after the show, you know, there's edits, things that need to be made of to make it IWTV ready, but we will be streaming on IWTV in August. I can't tell you the date because I'm still working on it. Nah, no worries. Good to know. Like shows happen in July 10th. Everybody else is going to get to see it in, in August. It's, it's uh, highly anticipated, I feel. Um, and also like a lot of discussion about the, some big steps in the future of Butch versus Gore and other Billy Dixon joints coming out of the show. It's all, it's all coming together, and and I am so so very excited for it. Um, Billy, thank you so much for for taking the time out of the day to chat once again. My thanks once again to Billy Dixon for for coming back on the show. I feel bad that our call dropped right at the end before he get his social plugs in, so I'm going to do that for him now. Follow Billy on Twitter at, at the Billy Dixon. Follow Butch versus Gore at Butch versus Gore, and uh, follow Paris is Bumping at Paris is Bumping. Um, of course, make sure to check out um, the Twitter account so you can find the link to buy tickets to Paris is Bumping Solid Gold 21 on July 10th. Um, yeah, it's it's all there for you, and it's all gonna be a blast. And that will bring us to the end of our show this week. Uh, make sure, though, we do have episode 100 coming up where I am the interview subject. So if you do have any questions, we still have the uh, the Q&A email addressed of, uh, addressed <laughs> the Q&A email address available uh, for anyone that wants to send questions in for that show. Send all those questions to uh, LGBTRingPod100 at gmail.com and we will sift through the piles and find some stuff to go along with whatever uh, Casey has in store for me on on that one but um, 
But yeah, this is where we will say goodbye for, for this week. But next week, uh, we're going to close out Pride Month, even if it is one day past that uh, that sixth month on the calendar, with a very, very special guest. We have the bloodthirsty vixen herself, Mariah Moreno, coming on the show next week. Do not miss it. So, um, But until then, y'all stay messy, wash your hands, wear your mask, and get your gigs ready. Everybody's ready to die. Bye. Everybody's ready to die. If they didn't see it coming from the top of the bridge, you made a deal with the